0: The temperature is nice and warm in the Boiling Point podcast studio, so come on in, get cozy, and let's enjoy the conversation. We empower leaders through thoughtful discussions to positively impact our world. Our host, Dave Vale, founder and CEO of Vision Coaching, Inc., is highlighting how we can thrive in business communities. Our conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, and inspirational storytellers are shining a spotlight on empowerment. Joining Dave this week is our special guest host, Emily Rogers. Let's join the conversation with Dave and Emily.
1: Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Boiling Point podcast. Dave, how are you today? You just got finished work out?
2: <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that a workout in the sauna and uh, and I'm still uh, I'm still experiencing the side effects, we'll say. Um, and we were talking about the the sweat factor and and uh, you were saying you you actually bring pen and paper into a sauna uh, and I thought I don't I can't even imagine how that would work in, in, the, in the case of my sauna. so
1: that says we're, we're polar opposite, yep.
2: opposite to the All side right. effects.
1: Yeah, our sweat rates are very different. For me, I go into the sauna. I will, I will listen to whatever doctor, whatever person recommends a sauna every day, mostly because I'm cold all the time. (laughs) And but it's like it's a creative space for me. I go in, I bring in a notepad, I bring in an HB number two pencil, and uh I just I think I brainstorm and then I warm up. And as soon as I'm warm, it's like, all right, edit there and carry on with the day.
2: I like getting it at the end of the workout and my workout. And when I grew up, I grew up in the Yukon territory, as you know, and um, my father um, built a sauna in her house. So I grew up with the sauna and, um, and he did it to relieve like stress headaches and he, he spent some time in Scandinavia. So, and this is in the seventies. And like, I, I thought, I assumed they bought the house with the sauna and he said, no, no, I, he, they built it. Um, so kind of, I have, we have a history of, of taking saunas from a very young age and then, for for years I said oh I'd get, love to get a sauna and then the pandemic hit and then you know all these excuses to do stuff in your house and and uh, saw this amazing deal on a sauna and uh you know went went made the purchase I had a friend who just said get get over yourself go get a sauna you keep talking about it so uh shout out to my my good friend Wayne Chamberlain
1: yeah love it awesome well and there is so many people are into the cold plunge which I just I, I couldn't <laughs> I do not like being cold. <laughs> the thought of that, oh my gosh. And the amount of people who know me who who have said like, Emily, you would never do a cold plunge, would you? Which- I would, but there is nothing about that, that intrigues me at all. Like, I don't even want to look up the benefits of it because I just don't want to know. I just want to stick only to the sauna methods. Well, I think, I think you should challenge yourself, honestly. I think, I should. Like, I, um, do think I should. Like in the Nordic
2: Spa, there's a Nordic Spa in New Brunswick, just, just above Nor- uh, Moncton. And that's the best place to experience it because you can jump right into the warm pool after And uh man, it is it it is quite the feeling. Um and I and we'll have to ask our guest if
1: if he's ever done a cold plunge. I'm guessing I, I I feel like he will. I feel like he definitely has. And it yeah, but the thing with those spas and like the Nordic spas versus people who go and do it in the river it's like where do you go right after to warm up
2: oh yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> as fast as you can get it's like no no running on the pool deck no if I'm just getting out of a cold plunge I am running into that sauna so on that note uh let's welcome in Matt Jackson our guest today
3: hey Emily hey Dave hey Matt Nice to see you both. Yeah. You know what? I I have done the polar bear swim one time and Dave, I'm with you. It's something like highly recommend. It's definitely an experience. And actually here where I live in North Vancouver, we have a creek nearby Lynn Creek. And um, there are people who regularly go down there to do the cold plunge um, throughout the year. Uh, Even in the summer months, you get that mountain water coming down and they do their five minute submerse themselves, jump out and they feel invigorated and it's a lot of fun. And there's like, there's a polar
2: dip, isn't it in an English Bay or, um, or in Kitsilano? Where, where, where is that one in Vancouver that every, yeah. uh, every, every
3: new year's? Yeah. It's just off Stanley park uh, in English Bay. I think it's uh first or second beach. They do it at, yeah. and I've done it the one time, but I, I would, uh, I've got four young daughters and the, the oldest, saw, she was, I think one or two when we did it. So she doesn't remember, but I'd love to take them down there one year. Maybe, maybe we'll have to put that on the holiday plans this year.
1: Now, Matt, you said polar swim. <laughs> Can we just clarify, like, did you mean plunge or were you actually swimming?
3: Well, you know, being in Vancouver, there's no ice to break through, but they, they do have a pontoon, which you're, um, some people just like run in up to their knees and run out, but other people like swim out to the pontoon, fully submerged and come back out. So it's, um, yeah, technically, I think it qualifies as a, a swim.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I
3: think I think so. I'm Matt. more of a polar dip kind of person. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Same.
2: <laughs> I can't yeah. swim and, the best of the times, especially in cold weather, I would think. No
3: <laughs> kidding. Yes. Um,
1: so I. Emily, I just, you. Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead, Matt.
3: No, I was just going to say I was listening to the podcast uh, from last week, and I and I heard you were having some troubles with your mic, and you used your your mic as a prop, and so I thought I would bring my prop mic along with me. Um, just so I felt you know included and I think you said maybe there was even having a prop enhance the experience for you so I brought mine. Let, I can tell you have four daughters that's what I'll yes.
2: say yeah right <laughs> that one and, like and, a microphone one of my daughters would have for sure not that my son wouldn't enjoy it as well but but that's kind of like one my youngest especially would just absolutely love that that microphone. Yeah. there.
3: And this gets a lot of airplay these days. Uh, as a family, we watch The Voice, which is, uh, we're just coming, I think the finale was yesterday. And uh, so there's been some um, lip syncing and singing along going on with, that, with our crew here.
1: No. I bet. Love it. So for the listeners and for Dave, because Dave, this is your first time meeting Matt and uh, vice versa. And so I reached out to Matt because I know Matt through, we both attended Royal Roads University together for executive coaching. He is a, his bio and experience is just incredible to even read through um and all around an incredible human being is how I was just oh. describing him to another friend. He is someone who says the most thought provoking things and is not afraid to express himself to be vulnerable to challenge things in a very healthy way healthy way and uh, is someone who him and I have connected with on a lot of different levels um, even recently about some of the things we're both doing and so I thought he needs to come on the boiling point other people need to hear what he has to say so with that Matt, I would love for you to introduce yourself to Dave and to the listeners in whatever it is you want to
3: share. Wow. let me just take a moment to soak in in that introduction. That was very kind and generous of you. Thank you so much. Um, how to introduce myself? Well, I, I mentioned already I'm a, a father of uh, four young girls and, and husband to Lindsay, and my girls are uh, 10, 7, 5, and 2, so we have a pretty busy household um originally from ottawa as we as we talked about earlier um but as a as a young man had a a couple of goals in my life actually had three goals um one was to somehow work on the olympics or be involved in the olympics and i knew it wasn't going to be as an athlete (laughs) um number two is uh growing up skiing out east i was always watching these beautiful ski movies with scenery from bc and like bc is the place for me and so that was the other goal and then the third goal was. I wanted to work for foreign affairs. I, I was one of these kids that before I read the sports section, I read the world news. But uh, as I got in university, I quickly realized working for foreign affairs was not the thing for me. I don't think I could um, um, toe the line of the government of the day and, uh, and give up my own beliefs and so on. So I, I concentrated on those two things. And fortunately for me at a university, I got started in the Olympics and I had a, uh, uh, I guess a 20 year career Uh, working on um, Olympic Games in different countries around the world, uh, starting out in the sports side of things, but eventually leading into what we call operational planning and cross-functional integration, and had amazing opportunities to live um, in Australia, in uh, Salt Lake City, uh, Torino, Italy, Um, did work in Brazil and Russia, uh, spent a lot of time in Switzerland. Um, So I've worked globally, internationally a lot, uh, which has been really exciting. And um, eventually, Olympics landed me in Vancouver, um and uh as as i just mentioned that was one of my goals to get here so once i got here i wasn't leaving and fortunately for me well friend my friends from the olympic world like to tease me that it took five olympic games for me to finally meet my person and uh i met my person Lindsay in the carpool on the way to work one day and and uh so that kind of cemented things for me and so that's uh how i ended up here and then after the 2010 games uh i wanted to make a transition but i was you know Dealing with a common challenge, which is making a career transition, having a, a long successful background in one area, one industry, and not really seeing how it could translate to others, and um, and so I started a transition process. And just reflecting on this recently, and I went to coaching uh, two years ago uh, with Emily, and I think I did a ten-year transition process to finally land in coaching. And I've been sharing with people recently, I haven't been this excited about work in my career since I was in the thick of my Olympic career. And so while the last 10 years certainly weren't lost, I, you know, again, found my person, started a family, settled down here, did still did some really interesting work, but uh, recently have uh, really felt the light come on and the passion come on in terms of my professional life. So, yeah. And then other than that, uh, I love getting on the mountain where uh, I don't do it enough, but skiing or otherwise. Um, I used to ride to work every day. I love getting on my bike, and I used to hate getting passed by people on e bikes, going especially going over Lionsgate Bridge. They would just zoom past me. I now own an e bike, which I carry my girls around, and I love exploring the North Shore here on my e bike. And, um, and I'm really excited about uh, all the new craft breweries showing up here in North Vancouver. So, those are the things I do outside of parenting and and uh coaching.
2: Well we we share we share two passions so it's craft beer and coaching so that's that's cool we get tell there's so Excellent. much right there. Uh very cool. Um so what what is, I guess you know I'm just maybe to kick things off a, a question around you know what is it about coaching that that you're finding so um energizing and 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 you know you're enthusiastic about
3: yeah um it's that's a great question and I think what it is, what, what I've realized, so there's a couple of things. When I was younger, uh, you know, coming home from university, I remember my mom saying to me, oh, you'd make a great teacher. You know, who wants to be a teacher? And, you know, in my mind, they didn't, didn't pay very well, and I had a very defined view of a teacher. And then as I look back on my career now, I'm like, oh, my gosh. One, I've been doing a lot of teaching, but, you know, that's maybe more of the symptom, but really a big part of who I am is helping other people succeed. And when I look back at my career, everything I ended up doing was actually driven by this kind of inner purpose. And I wasn't even really conscious of it. I just naturally drifted that way and worked that way. And so I feel like now that I'm uh, uh, focused on coaching, it's just such a strong alignment with who I am and and the impact I want to have in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and, and I think, you know, for where I am in my life right now, um, I've really seen a step back. My, I guess I think my work is not as busy as it once was. But my wife, who uh, had four kids in ten years, has been and out of the workforce now. So her career is now taking priority. She's doing really well, and so I think for where I am at my life, my experience, and everything, it just fits really well from a practical side. But also fits—it's uh, fits like a glove in terms of who I am and and um, yeah, what I want to do in this world.
1: I really appreciated your mention of a 10-year transition and how, you know, I see you as someone who was very goal oriented And obviously, other than working in foreign affairs, you achieved the goals that even as a young age, you set out to achieve. And so I'm sure you had this goal of like, okay, what is next? And then it taking this 10-year period to get to even getting into coaching, I'm curious of if you had found that passion for coaching 10 years ago, would you be the same coach as you are today?
3: I don't think so, Emily. I think um, I, I still, like, I feel like just because based on my values and, you know, and that need to serve and support others, I think I would have been a good coach, but I think this last 10 years has really um you know, I've learned a lot and uh, it's shaped a lot of who I am. And, uh, you know, there, there's an element of like, I don't want to characterize the last 10 years as a struggle, but there was an element of struggle in the last 10 years that maybe wasn't present when I was in my Olympic career um, that has served me really well and helped me understand myself better. And, and just kind of coming back to those goals I had as a young, you know, high school student, university student, one of the things I reflected on is, Those were quite tangible. Move to BC, work on Olympics. And so when I got to the end of Vancouver 2010, I was seeking something similar. I wanted that like really crystal clear thing. And I think what I've realized in these last 10 years, and hopefully uh, maybe less than that, but the the goal for me is now less tangible. It's more about who I am, the impact I'm going to have. And it took me a while to figure that out is that goals can look differently. Sometimes they're really clear. I want to run a marathon. And sometimes they're, they're less tangible. And so I think what I realized is that this stage in my life, my goals are not run a marathon, not no trip to Europe, although I'd love that, but they're more about like, who am am I as a father and a husband? How do I show up? What impact can I have on leaders or other individuals to help them be at their best? So that that's become yeah, it's just become a different type of goal for me. And it just took me a while to figure that out because I was, I think because that Olympic and moving to BC and others, there was a pattern there that was really worked for me. And so I was looking to replicate that somehow. And mm-hmm. again, in coaching, we see that all the time where people get stuck with what works for them. Um, And it it took something for me to start shifting my perspective around that.
2: Yeah, well, it's um, it's almost like, My sense is, um, I mean, someone once said, I I don't know exactly how they put it, but the idea that, you know, like, like these really, you know, really good books, sometimes it finds you. Like, Mm. I I can remember um, a book, um, I can't remember the title of it, but it's by the Dalai Lama. And I was in Hong Kong in an airport. And it just, and I never, I was never a guy who just grabbed, you know, see a book and grab it. You know, I'm like, 22 or 23 and it just spoke to me and I grabbed it and I, you know, and it I, it found me at the right time of my life. And I kind of feel like coaching finds, finds us at the right times as well. And, uh, and I, I mean, my own experience, Matt, was been, you know, I remember going through the program and I was, I, I kind of found it pretty young, you know, in, in respect to coaching. Like, you know, I find people generally get into coaching a little, you know, later in their, in their lives or whatever, or kind of, you know, after they've been through um, you know a lot of work experience might be a second third career so for me I was pretty young it was my early 30s but I remember thinking oh my god you, you get paid to do this and this actually this actually works like it was like shocking to me like it felt so yeah. right and and i had been trying up till then to probably consult and do all these things that just you know some people are very good at it just wasn't me so um, I'm, I'm just wondering is you know is that what you're talking about where it's just it's just aligns with who you are and does that
3: does that make sense or does that line yeah up well and 100 and like you know again going back to those 20 years in the olympics like in my world i was the olympic guy every one of my family my friends and i was my identity and like you know while it wasn't always easy doing that work there were some really challenging um times but like there's also times where, like I've got a career that people would die for and I'm doing things like the experiences I've had. I've watched an opening ceremony of the Olympic games from the roof of the stadium with fireworks going off beside me. I've been in a room with Queen Elizabeth. And, and so it's like, it was, I had that same feeling at that time. Like I get paid to do these things. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain number of the last 10 years where, um, you know, I didn't have that same, like, you know lightness or joy to it those last 10 years really served me there's a lot of things that i got out of that 10 years both like you know in terms of shaping me but also tangible things like the income i earned and the position and credibility for working really good organizations friends and colleagues but now i'm back to that same place that, just the way you described it like and i'm doing work now that there's an ease to it because it just feels right um and uh it, yeah and it, it's um so one of those things, the other part of it is in the last 10 years, there was probably more fear for me in my professional life in terms of getting it wrong. Whereas now where I'm very conscious of my performance, I almost really equate it to skiing, like being at the top of a gnarly double black diamond, like I'm definitely checking out the route in front of me. And I know there's some hazards there, but I completely trust myself. Mm-hmm. And, and while I may not be a professional skier and I certainly have a lot to learn, um, I can do this right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same with my coaching. Like I I um I've aspirations around who I want to be as a coach, but I'm also super comfortable with who who I am right now as a coach.
2: That is that is so important uh in terms of just, you know, that 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 uh, who you're being, right? As you, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. Sorry, I only yeah. have to, I'm just about to say something.
1: Oh, I'm like this is why I wanted Matt on the podcast <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in in hearing you speak about uh, your experience and being kind of wrapped up in in your identity of um, being a part of the Olympics and the, you know, I relate that to like my kind of time as an elite level cyclist and that yeah. the people saying like, oh my gosh, like this is what you get to do. And this is where you travel and like kind of getting caught up. In that identity, and for me, I don't know if you're the same, some pride and ego that goes along with it of like, yeah, I am doing really cool things, yet what then happens when that passion that maybe was once there and all these things that were fulfilled kind of no longer are met or that we got so off track that we got too caught up in the the pride, the ego, the lifestyle, the getting to do things like meeting the queen and all of this kind of stuff. And I think of how much, uh, respect I have for people who are willing to kind of step back and see it a little differently and then the courage that it takes to then make a different transition in your life especially in a time in an area where there are so many unknowns and like you said you had that 10-year transition and you know you speaking about the double black diamond kind of at the top of the hill looking down it's you know we've spoken before about possibility, and probability. And I cannot help but think of those two words. (laughs) And here talk about being at the top of that double black diamond. I would look down and think, I am probably going to break my leg. (laughs) (laughs) I would love for you to dive into those two concepts.
3: I would love to share that. This has uh, been top of mind recently. I've been thinking a lot about it. And I think it was partly through my coach training and the self-reflection work we do there that I, I started to recognize the difference between possibility and probability thinking. And uh, I've got some great examples, but one that stands out for me is um, when I went to university, so um, I chose this uh, program at Laurentian University of sports admin and, and um, as a business degree in sports admin. And they got 500 applicants every year and they took 50. And I said, if I get in, I'm going. And so I ended up going to Siberia and doing this program. And one of the attractions was it had an internship. Now, you know, I was really passionate about, even at that age, about Olympics. And somehow I was, I wanted to get involved. And at that time, Atlanta was uh, the city that was organizing and getting ready to host the games in 96. This was, I want to say 94, 95. And I learned that they had an internship program. And so I decided I was going to have a crack at getting an internship, you know, Man, I'm in Sudbury, Ontario, and Atlanta, Georgia is a long ways away, like across a border. And there was some, um, you know, my cohort of 50, maybe there was uh, 10 or 12 of us who were like, yeah, that in, Olympics, really interesting. And so we started to check it all out. And when I look back, when, what I noticed is that some of my peers, while they were excited about the prospects of going to Atlanta, they started looking at the probability, like what are the chances a kid from Sudbury at a, you know, at that time, Laurentian was ranked, I don't know, 29 out of 30 universities in Canada. What are the chances one of us is going to get internship at the Atlanta Olympics? And once they started doing that assessment, I noticed they started shifting their attention to things that were more probable. And they ended up getting internships at the Sudbury Wolves, you know, the OHL hockey team. And no judgment, like that's a great internship. And, you know, or working for a Boys and Girls Club or things more local or something out of Toronto. Now, meanwhile, I was also working in other opportunities, but I like, even though I knew this Atlanta thing was a long shot, I kept the flame alive. I was like, whatever I can do, I wrote the letter, I followed up with the letter, I kept up to, up to date on news. And at no point in the process did it ever become probable. You know, in my mind, it was always like, this is like a 5% chance, but I gave myself a 5% chance. And just as I was finishing my final exams, uh for the for the year I get this phone call out of the blue from a woman with this funny southern accent I'd never heard before and said hey we read your letter we think you're interesting we were wondering if you'd like to come down to Atlanta for the summer and when I look back on that what I've what I've learned from that is well probability is a good thing like if you're going to run a marathon or an ultra marathon Emily you know, hard work, commitment, do the process, and eventually, it's probable, you will finish. Um, for me, I've had a lot of that in my life, but some of the greatest things that have happened to me in my life have never become probable. They were just possibilities, and I, I committed to keeping the possibility alive. They never went from 10% to 50% to 80% probable. They were just possible. Um, and that story of me getting an internship in Atlanta was one of the early example of my life where I can clearly remember having that possibility mindset and not letting probability get in the way.
2: Um, in, I love that description. Uh, but even, And even how you ended that, Matt, around, you know, like like probability, like you're describing it as like getting in the way, meaning that it, it kind of limits the, what you, yeah. how, how possible you might think something is if the probability isn't you know 100% yeah. you know and, yeah. and the choices that we make as a result
3: yeah and and kind of fast forward what I realized more recently in my life is that I had started leaning more into probability mindset you know I'm married I have a mortgage I have four children and so risk management becomes um more prevalent in life and again this is through my coach training you start reflecting on this stuff you're like oh my gosh possibility mindset has been a key i'd say strength that's done so many things for me and over the last 10 years i've actually put a lot more weight on probability mindset and exactly what you're saying dave is when i look back at it now is that was a limiting behavior is i didn't even give myself a chance for certain things to happen and so now as I, you know, moving into this coaching world and building my coaching practice, I'm I'm embracing, and Emily's heard me talk about this, it's um, reconnecting with that possibility mindset, like what's possible for me as a coach, but it's also bringing that sense of adventure. Um, and that's another value of mine that I, I've i always had uh, and I got away from it a little bit. And so now, I've, now I'm, again, feel very, very connected to like, this podcast This is the first time you do an event podcast as adventure. I can't wait to see what happens here. Um, and I just take that every day. And same thing with the possibilities, like, you know, and for, you know, maybe there's a hundred times where I maintain a possibility and only a handful of times does a possibility eventuate, but those handful of times are worth it
2: mm-hmm.
3: because that's where the big stuff and whether it's that internship in Atlanta, you know, finding my daughter's missing study in split Croatia first, like, in a foreign city didn't speak the language finding my partner in life like like literally ran into her in the in the carpool it never went from you know it was never, it was it was kind of random and you can go and i'm sure you can look through your life and see these things that were never probable but they happened but they probably were pretty big moments in your life
2: what an awesome thing to bring into coaching you know and it just um and it, it, it's interesting you know you talk about kids what you learn from your kids mm. And then, and i and I, and actually, there's a specific thing I want to, I want to ask you. But I was just, just you're describing the Atlanta experience, um, and it reminds me of my son. You know, he's, we're watching the playoffs a number of years ago, and it was this ad comes on CBC. It was over and over and over again. You know, are you the smartest kid in Canada? And you know, and he said, well, you know, I'm a smart kid. Maybe I should apply. And I'm like, okay, but the probability is very low that you know what I mean. Like I was walking him through, like there's going to be, you know, probably thousands of kids and. Uh, but you know you should do it buddy but i should you to get your hopes i don't like what am i setting him up for right but thankfully yeah. he didn't listen he you know he he goes and gets a phone call hey want an interview well now it's just an interview liam you know anyways he ends up on the show you know <laughs> and, and you know well you, you know you get knocked off the first show and you know and, and it's funny because if i think about you know when when i do it for myself or when i'm doing it for my kids uh, anyways he proved me wrong because he made it right through to the final episode and everything and and it was a ra- yeah. really rich experience for him and for us as a family and it was just it was really fun to see him you know just walk into possibility you know despite me kind of talking about the probability um and and it was a real it was a really good lesson for me and and as i'm thinking through it it's like you know it's it's me as a father trying to you know push him and encourage him but at the same time not want him to be let down which is is in a, in a way um it's okay if you don't if these things don't play out as long as you've tried right and i and i wonder to what degree you know we play safe in our lives and and we use probability as a way to to make um maybe maybe uh i don't know like make sense of what we're not chasing wholeheartedly
3: does that make sense man yeah I, I think it does and well, first of all, what you're saying about parenting really resonates like, you know, we're, we're, we're naturally here to protect our children. And, you know, we want them to be successful, but we also want to protect them for hurt. And, and so sometimes that conflicts with, you know, the possibility mindset. And so like, so it's one thing to like, educate our children and help them understand. And it's a like, it's a really fine line between like limiting them versus informing them and helping them be really well equipped. Um, but I, I just think it's, um it's really important that uh we nurture dreams and aspirations regardless of um how probable they feel um because one there's there's value in just the the pursuit Mm -hmm. and who knows maybe that crazy thing might just happen Mm um yeah and i'm sorry i lost track of your last comment there dave the- I was,
2: no, just I think you touched on about keeping, you know, like it and how it plays in our own lives, right? Where it yeah. it makes it, it, or maybe in my life, it it gives me excuse not to chase something that maybe I should be, but I'm thinking, I'm, I start thinking about the probability and, you know, um, uh, but there's another piece of that, and uh, is that you know how, how do you um, would you incorporate in your coaching or or even parenting for that, you know, for that in, in for that um, in that matter, but the idea that you want to keep stuff possible you know that possibility open and and also the hard work that helps things show up right so it's not just oh this is gonna and and we all we've all had it happen because you know in Atlanta yeah there was some there were some you know you were very diligent as well it sounds like and 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 supported that happening right yeah Um, there's you know and and I can think of times when I've just thought a crazy thought and it actually happens and it's just it's like just i think i caught pure luck like it's just like you know maybe the universe worked or whatever but then there's yeah. things that happen and like you, you kept a possibility mindset but at the same time you know you intentionally work towards it you know and chipped away kept, like how, how does the that effort and and um discipline play
3: into the the idea of you know the possibility for you well, I think starting with probabilities, and that might be a little bit easier to describe. Like, when something, when there's um, when there's different types of goals out there, and if you're working, sorry, let me start again. I think it's looking at the type of goal you're going for, and some again with commitment and hard work, there's a good chance you'll get there. You know, I use the example of running a marathon, getting a degree, and so on. So I think one is recognizing is like the thing that I'm pursuing. One of those things. In which case it's the commitment hard work is gonna get you closer and closer. Now, if it's more of a, like a dream and aspiration that feels like really big stretch and maybe needs the universe to intervene to some degree to make it happen. To me, it's like, it's still, you know, if you don't put any effort into it, the flame extinguishes and like your, your chances go down to zero. And so what your effort is not necessarily going towards moving you forward, it's going towards maintaining the possibility. Um, and, and so like, you know, again, I think of the internship example, I had no idea what was happening down in Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia, and I couldn't control any of that. So I guess there's an element of in the possibility side, there's a huge element that's outside of my control and I control one small part of it. And so I put the commitment to that small part that I could control and left the other 90% and I'll just call it the universe, but to everyone else out there. And fortunately for me in that case, it worked out. Um, and so, yeah, I think, that, I think either way, effort under the degree of effort and commitment, and maybe with the possibility there's an openness, like I'm gonna put time and effort to something that there's a really good chance won't eventuate. And I'm okay with that. But it also probably informs how much effort I will do to that. Mm-hmm. And you pursue, I think those two different types of goals differently. Like if I, if it's a more of a progressive goal, you know, as I see myself getting closer, I'm willing to put more and more effort into getting there, closing a sale with a client. Okay, we've connected. It's, it's a good fit. They seem interested. Okay, I'm going to start ramping this up to see if I can turn in this into, into, a, uh, into an agreement or a partnership. So I think the first is just recognizing what type of uh, goal we're going after and then recognizing how your effort and commitment is going to support that goal. Does that make sense? <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, no, I, I no, it does because I think I think as soon as um, I like that I like that uh, metaphor around you know the flame um and you know without you, you know something has to keep a, that flame lit right and yeah. if you extinguish that flame you know that the probability associated with something that, that's you know you know the possibility kind of uh, universe if you will uh you know is really diminished right like it's yeah it becomes uh you know, the likelihood of it happening becomes um very small it's, it's an interesting
3: yeah. it's an interesting dynamic you describe yeah well and i think also with these aspirational goals that maybe aren't uh probable there's another part of it just putting it out there in the world and i think of an example it's actually my for my wife she works for an organization here in vancouver called o2e and um every year they come up with uh, their five, well, they, not every year, but they have their five-year plan. And part of that is like these crazy goals they want to achieve. And one of the ones they put up on the wall, I think it was more than five years ago, was to be on the Ellen show. You know, totally crazy thing. And like, you know, why would this company want to be featured on the Ellen show? And not only did they get on the Ellen show, but they were one of her, they got invited back to be one of the final guests. The, the founder was invited back to be one of the final guests. And so it's one of those things where it's like, crazy thing but part of getting there was just putting it out there saying it out loud putting it on the wall Mm -hmm. um and they have other goals maybe they didn't achieve but there's actually a high proportion of the ones they did put up on the wall and declare out loud that actually have happened Mm -hmm. and at the time they said them no one knew how they were going to get there there was no plan no strategic plan for that it's just like wouldn't that be cool okay let's put it on the wall
1: Mm. You know, when I hear you speak about probability, what keeps kind of coming to my mind is that, like, I'm hearing that probability is just very rooted in fear.
3: I think it can be. Probability, I think, does serve us. Like, again, in some, some types of goals, you need us. But I think when we're going after, like, those big, crazy, hairy goals... Yeah, am I going to put effort into something that's not going to happen? Am I going to fail here? And and so we start doing this logical part of our brain starts doing the math. Yeah, and and I think to what Dave was saying earlier, then it becomes an easy out. Yeah, definitely. That's that's really exciting, but um, you know what? It's not going to happen. It's not worth the effort. I don't see the path forward. And I think that's the other part of it is like, you know, with running a marathon there's a training plan. You can find one, download it. There's lots of people will tell you how to go from not being ready to being completely ready to perform in a marathon. But there's some of these goals like getting an internship in Atlanta, when you're at a university in Sudbury, Ontario, there's no playbook for that. And, Mm -hmm. and so, and that kind of goes counterintuitive to if you have that logical mindset is like, okay, like step A, step B, it's, it's definitely chasing those aspiration goals can sometimes be a little bit more, um, organic you know you're you're shifting around and like try this way try that way you might try and open a couple of different doors just maybe a little more shotgun approach just until you finally knock open knock open the door that works for you
1: yeah and you know when I think of your um for your internship and going through that process and speaking about maintaining the possibility and with maintaining that possibility you were staying true to who you are so then ultimately it's like, yeah, if it is supposed to happen, great. And it has happened in a way that is like organic to you. And it's almost like that when it feels so true, when it's so innately in us, it's like it makes it easier to then follow through with that possibility, to keep like maintaining that possibility. Um, and then being able to kind of counteract and kind of change like those limiting beliefs that do come up along the way and in you know not only the probability and the limit limitations that as leaders we put on ourselves but how we put them on others and you know for a yes. leader it's like gosh yeah in what way are you holding people back from possibility holding yourself oh my gosh. back from possibility your organization like
3: yeah, I'm so glad you you took that conversation there, Emily, because I see I've seen that in organization as well. And again, as you get more senior leadership roles, there's a bigger element of risk management, especially when there's like, you know, economic downturns or something like that. And um, we don't always have necessarily have the confidence in our younger people or trust in them. And but and so I think there's a real um role in leadership in supporting and nurturing possibility in the people that uh, we're leading and not um, and I feel like just on my own personal experiences uh, we don't necessarily do that with our our younger professionals you know the the ones out of university or those mid-level uh, professionals um, and I actually heard someone today like or, uh, a few weeks ago I, I spoke with a, a creativity coach and So I got curious about what that was. And it's teaching professionals how to be creative problem solvers and work. And I'm like, we have to teach that these days. And he's like, yeah, that, you know, actually going back into school, creativity, you know, color between the lines is being pushed out of our young people, whether it's school, university, or early in their professional lives, is they're essentially being told color between the lines.
2: Hmm. And so
3: they get to a certain place where creativity and their problem solving is required um, and they don't have that skill set, which to me is mind-boggling. Um, but that's I, I maybe it's just because I grew up in a different environment, a different generation.
2: It's you know yeah. I, okay. I can't help but think of um, you know calling be, between the lines and being creative and and uh, you know and the and the, and the the importance of in the work like in, in term, terms of getting out there in entrepreneurship or you know especially getting out there. And, and yeah. putting, out, putting out your coaching shingle is there's mm-hmm. like, there's not a lot of playbooks and every playbook's a little different. Right. And then yeah. I, I found that it, it's such a wonderful place to be creative. um, And and sometimes you can get away from it and it, you can feel it because it, at least for me, it feels like a little more of a grind, right? Like I'm like, I, I'm, 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 that actually kind of brings back to like, I'm, I'm working off probabilities of closing these deals and this and that. And there's some benefit to that, but it's kind of really nice like going back to, you know, we're talking about working out and all that kind of stuff earlier. Um, I find those are the times where, you know, where you're kind of free of, of calling between the lines and you start thinking of amazing ways that you can get out there and do fun stuff, you know, like, um, yeah. and just, just the value of it. And, and that there's, there's no, you know, there's, you know, there's no actual, um, Some sometimes, you know, in this world, clients come to you in in the weirdest kind of, coolest ways and 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 it's you can't connect the dots
3: well it's and you know we heard this and dave i'm sure you heard it uh, at some point in your training or in your career but like as coaches being comfortable with the messiness Mm. and and that's like that's part of like there is no clear plan a b c or anything like that it's like there's stuff out there we don't know how the dots are going to get connected but you know as you're speaking dave you know, you asked me earlier about like uh, you know, feeling lit up by, you know, this new career path I, I'm taking on. And I think another part of it is what you just described is that entrepreneurial mindset and the ability to be creative and to problem solve and be like, okay, like I need to find more clients. What are the different ways I can do that? And I, I get, I, I definitely, as you said, I like, I get a lot of energy out of that part of my work right now. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's it's funny. it's like not having enough clients could be really stressful. But on the other hand, like right now, I feel like, okay, this is interesting problem to solve. What can I do to do this? And what are other people trying? And yeah, so I resonate with that a lot. That's a, for me, a big part of what, where I'm finding joy and what I'm doing right now is like this creativity that is innate in putting out your own shingle.
2: It's, um, you know, so I initially, in like for the first, probably, so I went to, I went to railroads. like So we all went to railroads for anyone listening and they have a great uh, graduate. Um Certificate executive coaching it's much harder to get through it these years than it was when I went in two thousand and four. I think it was um but for a number of years after I was invited back to speak um to the to the to the cohorts that followed uh up till maybe i don't know twenty fifteen even I think so and um and I part of the reason I believe that I was asked to come speak is that hey here's this guy in New Brunswick that is actually you know eking out a living. With the coaching business, right? Yeah, and I think you know, like, so it was, and and what part of the, what I present was from the book, The Art of Possibility, which I love. It's a fabulous book, and it's the tale of two salespeople, right? It's actually mm. two salesmen, but I'm going to say salespeople because it doesn't really matter if they're men or women. And it was this idea that they um, that that they're you know in the early you know 50s or whatever were sent off to a country to to uh, to to sell shoes. And uh, one, one salesperson sends a fact or a telegram, I guess, back, says, situation hopeless. They don't wear shoes here. And then the second salesperson gets back, you know, glorious opportunity. No one wears shoes. And I always felt that way with coaching, right? And I, I remember talking to, when I just got into the, you know, the business and I'm talking to this guy and he's, a, you know, I really respect him. I and mean, he'd just gone through railroads a couple years before I had some really early days. And he was like, you know no one no one buys coaching in the brunswick no one in atlanta canada and and it, for whatever reason you know it was one of those moments thankfully that to me it was like what an opportunity no one wears shoes like this is awesome like okay so it's like why don't you know what i mean like, that's how i interpreted <laughs> yep. it i don't know where that came from because i don't i mean i'd love to say that happens in all areas of my life it doesn't but that that certainly happened there and then it was like well how, what's a creative way to get out there and educate people, but not pound them over the head with coaching, coaching, coaching. And so it was just interesting some of the things that emerged from that, like a, a column in the, in the in the newspaper interviewing leaders, and then you know all these things started to emerge. And and it was really fun way to get out and get business. And so you know I I'm just I'm bringing it up simply because it's just that wonderful creativity to connect. Because I think we're in an industry that's it's not like. Um, You know, you go and you you look uh, off the shelf about, you know, like, you know, who do do I want to work with, Matt or Emily, you know, or I think most of our clients don't even know they, you know, would benefit from a coach or what coaching is, for that matter, still. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I went on a rant. I apologize, but I just... well,
1: love it It was a good rant, and the, yeah, the creativity and around uh, exercise. And we kind of get this like mm. endorphin cocktail when we are moving, when we are exercising, when we are out in nature and uh, you know, how that then can spark the creativity and then, okay, how do we carry that forward and keep that going? And, you know, for myself of I'll have clients who they want to go fly fishing with me. They want to go biking with me. They want to go horseback riding with me because they want to put themselves in an environment where they can think more freely. And Matt, you know, for you, uh, you were the director at Lululemon and led the Sweat Grow Connect movement. And I can't help but think of that in putting these athletes, these influencers in this environment to move, to sweat to grow. And then ultimately, yeah, connection comes from it.
3: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And uh, yeah, so at Lou Lemon, I, I led our global events team and we did a, a range of different types of events, but one model we had were these intimate experiences uh, retreats where we had uh, bring together a group of influencers that we were trying to connect and build a relationship with, but foundational to Lou Lemon's culture is personal development and leadership development. And so that was our offering to them. And we, Landed on this form, and I don't know if it was, in fact, I doubt it was original to Lululemon, but it was around before my time. Where what they recognized is like, often we'd go to corporate training workshops, we put everyone in a room, and we do our best to create a safe environment and then hope that people feel comfortable, safe, and vulnerable enough that they can share experiences or uh, learn from what's going on and, and kind of let their guards down. And generally we do okay at that. But what we saw with these experiences we're doing is that um, you can go really deep, really quickly when there's, initially there's a shared human experience, often some type of sweat. And so our case, we often did yoga, but it might be a hard hike, but it could be cutting down trees and chopping logs. But what happens is when, when people have, share a challenging physical experience, now they got something in common, they suffered together. And from there, you start seeing people connecting over that shared experience. And once they connect, they build the trust, and then the guards come down. And so we would organize these events. They'd be three-day retreats, and everyone would come in, like all these shiny, happy people, and like, they're influencers, so their image is really important to them. And so they'd all have their, you know, not necessarily their art, they weren't necessarily guarded, but they're, you know, the, the, the um, Instagram or TikTok version of them. And... Within, within a day and a half, usually by the first dinner or the morning, you started to see people connect with each other that didn't know each other previously, maybe didn't have that much in common because they had that shared human experience of the sweat, whatever it might look like. And then what happened is we'd start getting into the development sessions and you, we, we called it cracking the nut. All of a sudden, we'd see people really quickly Go very deep into their own personal experiences and challenging, and then when that start happening, other people start feeling it, and people learn from each, each other, um, uh, from each other's experiences and observations, and so you just get this really valuable peer to peer experience. But it wouldn't have been possible to go that deep, that impactfully, if we hadn't had that the sweaty experience up front. And so I've taken away from that is that is, you know, sometimes you don't have the opportunity. You got you know six hours to do something with a group in a room and you you do your best. But what I get really excited about is when you can really create profound transformational change for people in a fairly quick way by following that formula of, again, shared human experience, make people suffer together in a good way, uh, give them space to connect and share the experience and, and bond over that experience. And then watch the magic happen. You know, if you have a good facilitator and, so that's really stuck with me is, and I, and Emily, I look at what you're doing with the young girls and your running groups. It's exactly the same thing I'm doing. it. We were doing it a very high end, high touch environment, but it also works taking a bunch of, um, you know, young teenage girls or preteens, take them running, let them share that experience together. And like, you can speak to what you see happen after that.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, in so many ways, it's the same thing that happens, whether I am, Hosting a fly fishing trip somewhere with clients and 50, 60, 70 year old men and women or out doing my on the rise program with 10 to 12 year old young boys and girls it's the same benefits that happen. It's like, I wish that I could record the end of each of those times. And it's like, I get the same message back. Um, and you know, you talking about the, like that having to kind of sweat that having, having to like endure, like kind of go through those hardships together. And I can't help but think like, you know, as an organization that Those hardships are kind of always happening, whether it's environmental or exercise or what it is, like we're constantly faced with these challenges. So there's that level of relatability and, you know, taking that relatability a step deeper to finding that connection of just humanness. And so how can we maintain that relatability and that level of humanness every single day with everyone that we interact with so that we can have that growth, that connection?
3: Yeah, it's a tough one because, it, you know, I, I think there's a lot of loneliness out there. We often, like a lot of people and myself included, feel like we're, whatever it is we're doing or the challenges we facing, we're doing it on our own. And, um, yeah, so I don't know quite how to answer that, Emily. I think it's an important. I think there's definitely a shift out there in terms of, certainly in the professional space, creating more human work environments. I also think there's some pushback against that. Um, starting to emerge as everything is like for me everything is a trend you know we push to be more human and there's bound to be a reaction where people are like ah we're being too cuddly and soft and nurturing and we need to be more action oriented and goals and results oriented um but i know i think that's a really 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 important part of leadership is to create create that culture in that space and i was before our our call i was thinking about some of the um, the traits of the, I guess, the most influential leaders I worked with and the people I really respect. And for all of them, there was a, a humanity and approachability a vulnerability to them um, that made them really effective, at least in my eyes, made them really effective leaders. Um, and so, and, and I guess there's another part of me, and I have zero data, data to bring this up, but I almost feel like they're the, Art of leadership, as much attention as we pay to it, it I, I, I feel like in an era gone past, leadership was, um, we didn't have to train people formally for leadership. There was more of an informal mentorship type culture and organizations. And as our, our, I guess, our society and our business world became more bottom line oriented, the emphasis for leadership was more on results And now we're at a place where we actually have to train. We need, you know, often bring external people into organizations or have internal training teams to treat, to train leaders on the human side of leadership. You know, you got here because you got results, but if you want to lead teams, we now need to help you develop those other skill sets. And so I, my theory is that we kind of pounded out the human side of nature over the last 60, 80 years, and now it's re-emerging. Um, But instead of coming up organically through mentorship and being passed on from generation to generation, it's now being delivered through training, coaching, um, more formal ways. And Dave, I'm super interested. You've been in the space a lot longer than I have, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, same.
2: Oh, man, that's a good question. (laughs) That's a good question. Well, first off, I go, if that is the case, thank God for that, because it gives us all business rates. So (laughs) I don't have a real problem with it. but I mean, the humanity, of it, I mean, at the end, it, and it's interesting, like when you're talking about coaching, you're often talking about the outcomes, right? When you're selling into corporate, um, the reality of the experience is, uh, is much more human. And, you know, and, and, you know, some people would even say spiritual, um, you know, and you have to be careful how you use that language to your point, Matt, about like, you know some of that kind of love language, if you will, or those sorts of things are, you know, just, they seem too soft and cuddly. And the reality is that, that you know what well, what does create passion and and motivation and and inspiration all these things is some of those qualities. I was um, and I know we got to jump in in a, in a moment here, but I was going to just on that. Um, there's a, a book that I recommend to Emily and and you. I think you you said you devoured it, The Trillion Dollar Coach. And it's really you know it's it's about this guy who coached all the the big high you know the big tech firms like everyone from Apple and Google and all these places and. They had, you know, uh, collectively like a, I'm guessing like a trillion dollar market value, and and it's it's like, um, you know, the, the the you know what he was um, encouraging is connected to what our conversation is right here, you know, in terms of the, um, you know, how how people connect, the interconnectedness and and the humanity um, of a team, or you know how you lead and 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 what to to uh, encourage in others and how we approach things and um and you know that gives me hope because here's here's people that are that are would be you know evidence-based folks that are actually writing the book who say wow like there is actually a lot of evidence that supports this approach so um it's just nice to see that that's gained more traction that's my impression
3: yeah Yeah. maybe just one final note like emily you talked about you know the experiences you create and What I've noticed, um, whether it's coaching or whether it's the run groups or these, you know, high-end retreats, the reason people sign up is, you know, the activity, the location. In our case, you know, they're going to to Tulum, you know, for three days, paid for someone else, hanging out with cool people. In your case, Emily, it's maybe like getting together with friends to go for a run. That's why they show up. But when they leave, what do they talk about? They talk about the experience and the impact it had on them, and that's what they really value But that's not what they bought into up front. And I think as, you know, Dave, as you said, as coaching, you know, what we talk about up front, what people want to buy is one thing, but what they're taking away is not, is very often something different and something a little bit um, deeper inside.
2: Yeah, 100%, 100%. So so people are listening to this, um, you know, and thinking, geez, I'd like to connect with Matt and learn more about how he can support me and, or, you know, potential working with him. They love the the possibility mindset as an example. How would how would they reach you most?
3: Uh, uh, they can reach me uh, at my email, so matt at MattJacksonCoaching.com. dot uh, I also have a website, which is uh dot or they can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, give me a shout out, Dave.
2: Yeah, well, and I love and and for people that are on LinkedIn, go check out. Uh, please go check out Matt's uh, LinkedIn profile. He's got this great picture that you just you look at it and you go. I feel like I know that guy. Like I feel like I, you know, like it's this wonderful picture. And it's just I so I just want I meant to bring that up earlier. I was looking on my phone actually. And I was like, what an awesome picture. Um, very just you you very very approachable. So um so I Thank hope you. people connect with you. Um thanks for the introduction, Emily. I really appreciate you introducing that. I we could keep this conversation going for a couple hours easily. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if you watch the time, I'm like, oh my God, it's probably one of the longest podcasts we've done. Uh, and I don't even feel like we're you know, uh, we got so much more to explore, but I just love where we've gone and and kind of what Matt shared with us
1: yeah. yeah, this was phenomenal, Matt. This was a a small glimpse into all of the reasons why I wanted you to be a guest on the podcast, and uh I think you know uh, for a follow-up podcast we could all do it in the colt's plunge um wow. in an area that it is like how vulnerable could we get and then what happens like who i'll, I'll be the first to crack i promise <laughs>
3: i love, that idea. I, I love should, that idea I think we should
2: do it and then talk about it after because yes. uh, i just can't imagine what my face would look like once you go in because i mean man you're just thinking get out
3: out of there as quickly as possible I, i'm gonna put out there i'm gonna to commit to doing this year's polar bear new year's plunge and so maybe we can reconnect in the new year and talk about how that experience was for everyone
2: yeah love it What let's, let's do it okay matt we'll okay. hold
3: you to it not, not that you okay. need to be able to it but that's great awesome yeah well, i just want to say thank you well sorry i was just gonna say thank you to both of you i really enjoyed the conversation today and and uh, emily again thank you for introducing me to dave it's uh it's been a pleasure
1: Thank you.
2: We'll keep the conversation going for sure. Yeah.
1: Um, Dave takeaways at the end of every podcast episode, we do a takeaway. You want to go first?
2: Yes. I go first, Matt, because um, then it leaves it. I don't have the excuse of saying, Oh, Emily took my takeaways. Um, So uh, I, you know, it's really just that reminder of possibility, which kind of reminds me of growth mindset and, and some of the things that, Um, Just personally, you know, like, yeah, I want to step into that a little more. And I appreciate Matt's perspective. And um, that that would be my biggest takeaway and and encouraging that. And not only myself, but people around me and family and that sort of thing.
1: Mm, Love it. Yeah, I think mine is around the... um you know, as leaders of how can we feel connected daily in order to be change makers and um, in order to hold the possibilities open both for ourselves and for others and around the, you know, whole sweat grow uh, connect concept and um, always trying to find ways of How can we have that relatability? How can we already show up in a way that is relatable and in a way that is humanness so that we don't kind of have to go through those first steps and that we can kind of get in faster to that level of connectedness. And it's like, you know, I think of Matt and you mentioning about Matt's LinkedIn profile. And Matt is someone who, when I first met him, I'm like, yep, he is my kind of guy. We are friends, whether he wants to be or not, because he brings himself. He's relatable. He's human, and then there is that connection there, and then that is where like powerful relationships and friendships and colleagues and all of this stuff can really unfold and happen. So, that is my takeaway from today. Awesome. One one more thing is, I'm I'm, sh- I'm shocked
2: at the sun in North Vancouver coming through <laughs> the window because it was like that's not right this time of year. There's no <laughs> way it should be that sunny.
3: But Dave, you must realize by now everything is backwards these days.
2: Yeah, true, true. <laughs> because my memory's North band this time of year is just like socked in, you know, thick. Yeah. Thick, uh, thick cloud cover.
3: So we actually had ten centimeters of snow already earlier in December. It was like, and meanwhile in Ottawa, my mom's still riding her bike. Wild, 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 wild. Do you you yeah. have to take us out.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, As a podcast, we're always about connecting and engaging. And so everybody can connect with us uh, directly on the website, so boilingpointpodcast.com. It's where you'll find uh, all the information about all the different conversations we've had. And you can connect with us on social media through uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And we also post the video versions of these lovely conversations on both uh, YouTube and Facebook. Uh, and you can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcast channels. See ya. Thanks. See you in the full
2: plunge. <laughs> See you later, guys. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to the Boiling Point podcast. Remember to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite listening platform. To find out more, head to our website at boilingpointpodcast.com. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. To find out more about Dave Vale's work, head over to visioncoachinginc.com. Thanks for listening, and make sure to check out our next conversation.